0: hello this is episode 24 of the podcast called blood and rain i'm your host arthur dane
1: spending time in the field with head hung low can't tell yet if it's in reverence or humility but i know that which i seek within me and that same thing seeks you have i stolen a prized gift am i now hiding from eyes No, within me you chose to dwell, that I be the one to carry on this path. I am no thief, though I have stolen. I am not ashamed, though I have merited such. I am who you tell me, so will quiet my thoughts, attuned to that voice that welcomes no pride.
0: Pride can only be poison in this realm and the next. Adoration is not pride, whether fatherly or motherly. Fulfillment of completion is not pride, for that resolve is earned. Pride is a blind spot. Pride unravels in its complacency, for pride is indeed poison. The realm above and its dominion below is one that gives fruits to those who strive to master the balance between humility and tenacity. The humility to know that one will never fully know, and never be the highest example. The tenacity to strive to be the wisest, highest example, nonetheless. By my hand of flesh, blood, and bone, the thievery seems set in stone. But this is indeed a gift in seeking the house of humility originally. For when one removes the illusion that self can hold pure dominion, one can receive the reverent wisdom gifted from high above.
1: Emptying oneself of greed and desires will surely center the self. In that I call myself I, there is only I who is in you. In work, in thought, in times of patience or trial, I see such as I am accompanied by that which is divine, as I strive for the divine. As joy merits joy, God acts the same.
0: And that was the conclusion to the second joint written piece from Blood and Rain Books. It's a piece that is roughly 10 pages long, but sort of describing both myself and our guests' accounts of the Lenten period of orthodoxy leading into the most recent Pascha, which for those of you who don't know, is the name for the Orthodox Easter. We had very similar findings on certain notes, and we had very different experiences with our Lenten experience and others. We came upon a pretty common conclusion when it comes to Lent, however, and when it comes to the resolve that is Pascha, and the question mark that is between linear and cyclical time. The guest writer goes by the handle of the Symposium. He's somewhat new to the solar sphere but he certainly made a splash with incredible original thought, very well articulated wording, incredible writing structure, and very unique aesthetics to pair. It's been wonderful seeing his work grow quite rapidly on the solar sphere and Instagram and I'm very happy to have him as a guest. He's a current philosophy student about to go into his senior year and as I mentioned before, a talented writer, and I'm very happy to call him a fellow Orthodox brother in Christ. Thank you you so much for being on the show, Chase.
1: Thank you, Arthur. I'm glad that you invited me on. Definitely uh, something that uh, I've been listening to your show for, like, when you podcast for, I don't know, since January when I started um, thinking about opening up a new account, you know?
0: Awesome. I'm glad to hear it, Matt. I didn't know you were listening from the get-go. It's just still a pretty, pretty young podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know, those for the listeners who don't know, tell uh, the listeners a bit about your background and how you came to the sphere, your sort of writing background, your thought process, things of that nature. Okay.
1: Well, I guess it was, I mean, since I'm still a college student, It was all based about basically, well, what did I want to major in at first? And I know it's like not a super exciting topic. It's just like, okay, well, just pick a major. So um, it wasn't until freshman year that I really uh, was kind of forced to decide in a way what I wanted to do. And I've always just been uh, looking for some sort of truth. And that led me to philosophy, um, as opposed to psychology or anything like that, just because I feel like I've been, I'm sure many people have just felt like they've been lied to a lot, um, based on news and whatnot. I'm not going to get into any of that, but, um, and even in like personal parent relationships, things have been a little rocky, um, at least in my family. Um, it just, it at least helped, um, and so within some, some sort of desire to know what is true, and I think all humans have that, uh, have, that have that longing in them, you know, at least some sort of justice is in that. But um, I always sort of felt that way, but I never really said anything out loud or, or was compelled to write in any, any true manner. Until until about like a point in my life, where um, at least with me it didn't come the, the mental the mental thought processes of of putting anything anything down into writing. It didn't come until I uh, began um, developing myself physically, which was like my older brother was a huge gym rat, a guy who just. You know, he'd be in the gym like maybe two, three hours a day and he introduced me to it. And it wasn't until then that um, I really had any um, respect for, for even myself to like me- think, to think that what I say had like any merit um, or that I could do anything of any substance. But so I've been, I've been doing that for about two years, you know, following the ways of him and. I guess that kind of convinced me to uh, start an account this January. And since then, I found, like, um, Horace Mundin's page. was probably the first page I found, and Soulbrah, and then I found your podcast. And I don't think it just grew from there. It just grew into the uh, solo community. I'm sure most people know about that by now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's becoming more of a, a vocalized thing. I, I never really thought it would, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's turning into gatherings and it's turning into collaborations and it's turning into a, a number of things, and I'm sure that's not where the growth is going to stop. In terms of your origins, it's pretty fascinating, sort of, how you got to where you are now. When I've heard a lot of philosophy students, and I've, I've spoken with a handful and I've met with a handful and whatnot, it's 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 never the sort of notion that you had that you've sort of been lied to that something's wrong and you you're you're seeing it as an avenue to being more inquisitive and more analytical in discerning what is real and what is not real, what is truth and what is what are lies. That's a pretty fascinating place to start from
1: Yeah, yeah, I would just say um I mean, we we're always told, especially like in middle school, we're not question everything, and uh, in high school, so I was, I just started questioning stuff, and then, you know, that makes some people mad. And you're like, wait, I thought, I thought you said question things, and then, I don't know, I just <laughs> from there, from there, I was like, okay, well, I just want to live with, um, in concordance with. What I, what I think is true is I think there is like a truth or like a logos of something that we need to get in uh, contact with and live our lives according to that. So that's kind of what put me on to that idea.
0: That, that, that's another interesting thing to me as well that you sort of, I mean, maybe I'm stereotyping here, but when I when I meet people who sort of come across philosophy just sort of on their own, it's, it's, I don't want to say more of an organic standpoint, but less of a structured curriculum at least, that they, they, some will stumble upon Logos, Synovial being one of them. Um, But, stereotypically what I found with philosophy students is they get, they get thrown more and more into this almost carousel of conflicting ideas. And I've seen it truly, unnerve and take unnerve people and unsettle people and take over their lives and just almost walk around like this husk with a head like very hamlet-esque sort of like heavy with thoughts but you don't seem that way at all which is which is refreshing because I've had a lot of philosophy students shout Camus at me I've had a lot of philosophy shooting students shout Kafka at me Ibsen occasionally D.H. Lawrence which is kind of a surprise that's more of a narrative and theatrical reference more than anything but would you would you how much would you attribute that to like sort of your seeking to find a logos within a philosophy student standpoint from what i understand is a liberal at a liberal arts college yes
1: yeah so it's pretty hard to do it at a liberal arts college i would say um i feel like i had most of my uh inquisitive character before uh, I even like wanted to do it, to do this degree at all, or even get in this discipline as much as you would call undergraduate a discipline, but uh, I would say there's many uh, courses that you get into, like I'm in a free will meaning mm. uh, of life sort of course right now, which is like does anything we do have meaning or can react um, are we the cause of our actions and if not are we the cause of anything we do or can we be held morally responsible for such and in, in class you'd read one paper which will make you go okay yeah we are morally responsible for what we do and then another paper will disprove it and and you would have a ton of students not all but you could definitely tell like there's a few students who just don't know what to think after all that, after they flip, flop back and forth between each new article and position they read. It's not like you're ever convinced of anything. It's just, um, I feel like you get defeated easily to just not caring after a while um, about any sort of philosophical concepts, because you could just reason that, well, anything can be argued, any way you want. So I'm just gonna believe what I wanna believe regardless if I think it's true or not, which is a common stance to take. Um, I, I try to um, see things practically, but I also like to see things through um, theology and the religion, especially Orthodox Christianity now that I'm being more inquisitive into I think like that even upholds what philosophy is. So that, that helps give me a, at least a belief foundation. Um, and to see through that lens other than to, um, I don't know. I feel like without it, I would kind of not really know what to, what to trust all the time. Even like my own thoughts. If you get into like that sort of thinking, which I mean, that can even destroy people you don't even trust your own thoughts sometimes. And then, I don't know. Like, you couldn't even trust anything you wanted to base anything off of. Like, you'd be like, okay, well, how can I trust that there's a God if I don't even trust my own thoughts? I don't know. So it, it can confuse a lot of people,
0: um, especially being in a lot of courses at the same time. Yeah, I can certainly see that. It seems to me that, Since you had this inquisitive nature from the get-go, and you had some background in Christian or background in Christianity before, you know, coming to Orthodoxy, uh, that would certainly provide somewhat of a base. I have so many questions from everything you just said. Um, Well, my my, my first initial question that I that I wanted to ask was, like, how much do you attribute your physical training with the help of your brother in terms of giving you grounding to sort of strive for some form of logos and for. giving you somewhat of a, a grounding to be able to be stable and properly discern ideas pitted up against one another.
1: Okay. I'm going to try to answer this. It might not be what you want, but... Um, okay. He, uh, he wasn't really a direct guide for me as far as, like, nurturing me or, like, being like, hey, I want you to be strong and whatnot. You know, he was, like, the bully, the older brother who was, like... Mm. Uh, I can beat you up. Why aren't you lifting? Which, you know, I think that works very well, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually quite grateful he did that. But um, he did teach me like bench press and like the basic stuff and how to deadlift though, which is pretty good. But I think that just weighs um, physical actions or your yourself against reality, what you do. And it it's sort of um, sort of like in conversation, if you just debate like philosophical theories, if you don't actually apply it to action, um, I don't think much of it is meritable um, because then it's just talk. and when mm. you actually live something out or test it against reality or test yourself against like any weights you lift or what you're capable of, or what ideas are capable of considering like a debate or a philosophical discussion um it's just chatter in a sense which is pride or or, or talk like like guys that are like oh i can love so much more than you but like <laughs> oh you yeah,
0: please see it it doesn't really mean anything that makes sense i mean yeah that pretty much answers my question it's It's, it's, you know, it's something that thankfully a lot of guys in the sphere share. Like a lot of, a lot of us throw a bunch of ideas at the wall. There's some pretty solid thinkers and solid writers in the sphere, obviously without a single shadow of a doubt. But the general consensus is that application is like of the utmost importance. Because if it it wasn't, it would just be chattering. I enjoy theorizing as much as the next guy. I enjoy speaking on grand strategy as much as the next guy. But it's the implementation that's key. Right, I mean, there's there's how how many how many quotes are there about plans going wrong? Erwin Rommel, no no plan no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Then the very simplified Mike Tyson version of everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, Mm -hmm. it's that makes that makes an abundance of sense. Um, My my other question was, how did you navigate coming from a Christian background at a liberal arts college, being in a philosophy major? Because I could imagine that. Some of these people that you encountered who, and I, I, I've i seen this and have experienced this myself, where you're weighing so many ideas against each other back and forth that people go into this madness like, I'm just going to believe what I want to believe because I haven't really been able to disprove everything or prove without a single shot of a doubt one school of philosophy. How did you navigate? I'm, I'm sure you were met with some wave of cynicism for coming from a theological background.
1: Yeah, I would say a lot of it was just, And it's kind of anti-philosophy in a way, but it might be its own philosophy, which is go with your gut, especially if you think something um, will hold like a stance and someone else um, disproves it. Because after all, a lot of arguments are just arguments and you might not be prepared for what you want to defend, even if you know it's true. Right. And that can help a lot. Just um, look some stuff up on your own if you want to. be more affirmed than what you believe in, but don't let just an argument or a course or a professor just uh, completely make you not believe in what you thought before. I mean, they can definitely challenge you and some stuff can be beneficial, but not all the time at least. Um, I actually go to a Christian school, so like 90% of the professors are like Christian in some way, so they don't really seek to. speak out against that in a huge, huge manner. It's usually open debates. Like, they won't discourage any conversation, but it's yeah, definitely right. not not, not like some colleges where, at least that I hear, it's quite against um, some thought patterns. And-
0: yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head and it seemed like either being anti-philosophy or philosophy of its own. It basically just completely discount religion entirely I mean we've, we've, we've seen atheism and deep faith in science and even you know many scientists say science is fluid with new discoveries that it's it's either a philosophy or an, of its own or anti-philosophy to just completely disprove religion whether they whether they can do it with a proof or not. Um, I mean, I would imagine I'm just you know down the road from UC Berkeley that uh, being an Orthodox Christian at UC Berkeley would be a pretty interesting experience. I mean, I've been mm. a, I've been an Orthodox Christian as a bartender, and that was interesting enough. I can't imagine you know scrutiny of professor and a bunch of people who want to feel important, and feel you know enlightened because they just got to college. I don't know, I don't know what that onslaught's like. But my my heart and prayers go out to them mm. in terms of. You said something really interesting, though. You said you were you had this inquisitive nature before you got to college. Do you, do you have any idea where that came from? Were you born with it? Was it something that you witnessed from someone close to you early in life? How, how do you think that manifested?
1: Uh, I don't know. Um, I did spend a ton of my time outdoors. So if there's like the outdoor parents that are like, hey. We believe in educating people in nature you know that there might be something to that mm, but sure. no I really i really don't know um i feel like i've always been inquisitive um pretty introverted especially in high school and middle school though um so i just i mean i kind of had this edge where i didn't care what people thought and i just like wouldn't associate with, with much people uh maybe because of that but and in some sense i felt like i would always just challenge what I believed even to myself all the time. It might just be like an inborn thing, but yeah, I can't really point to anything.
0: Huh? Okay. Yeah, that could just that could just be inherently be your nature. Maybe that inquisitive nature grew. I mean, sometimes a lot of people underestimate introverts, like especially if they gain a, a certain amount of strength, because there's this rugged independence, whether a lot, whether deliberate or not, that I've seen within them of, of introverts who have gained such strength that they start to cultivate this magnetism. Like a lot of people, I think sometimes, and, and, and there's there's something to be said for placing value on extroverts and their ability to socialize and their ability to woo and their ability to convince. Um but I guess you could sort of chalk that up to the comparison between those and the, pe- the, the people who would consider themselves to be sort of like attractors versus hunters. It's like they sort of serve as a beacon to attract what it is that they're, they're trying in life, whether consciously or subconsciously, with their actions, with their thoughts, with their words, and then the people who are just sort of violently pursuing some route to where they're trying to go. And some people do, do, do that in tandem, but... When it comes to introverts, I've noticed that if they have that certain amount of strength, they have that sort of self-possession, they have that sort of self-assuredness that you're speaking upon. First of all, there's less social obligations, so they have more time to think for themselves, and they have more time to, to think deeply in general, and they have more time to be inquisitive. So, would you would you say that's somewhat that dynamic that you had was was somewhat amplified, or that dynamic? Excuse me, some. Someone amplified that inquisitive nature it seems that you've had from the get-go?
1: Um, I, I could see that it could be amplified by um, uh, certain coaches I've had. Um, mm. I wouldn't really relate it to teachers or parents or friends like that, but I would say many coaches um, really stress the um, strength and uh, physical Physical endeavors and what you did. Cause I did track and cross country. Um, More, more, more into track and cross country, especially after I quit soccer after 14 years when I realized was not my thing. Hmm. Took a while, but yeah. Um, But yeah, through that, I mean, was always try to do uh, the best you can. Uh, individually, and through that, um, through the team, if everyone does their individual best, you can help push each other to do um, good as a team, So look stronger together. Um, basically that concept, and to do um, everything you do in sort of a perfectionist way, um, as long as it's not super unhealthy, I mean, I don't see a problem with that. So I apply it to not just physical aspects of my life, but spiritual and mental, I would say, as well, uh, intellectual. Um, yeah, and that really wasn't um, something that I really knew deep down within myself until, like, someone vocalized it.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. First of all, what, what events did you run in track?
1: Oh, I did the 800, 4x800, and then depending on what they needed me in, I would do the 400 or the mile.
0: You and I had some similar crossover. My main event was the 800 as well, that I did mm-hmm. the mile. Um, and I got thrown in the 4x4 quite a bit, too.
1: So. Yeah, I love the 4x4. It's so much fun.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's always at the end of the meet, and the sprinters are always bitching that they have to do the 4x4, and the distance runners are always like, oh, this is great. I just have to run one huh. <laughs> yeah pretty it's pretty funny um but yeah I mean actually yeah, you, you and I had a similar route in that regard I was supposed to be a quarterback and I was a quarterback through middle school and I, I, I might have been if I maybe if I went to a different school but I got I, I, I was about to get kicked out of the high school I got I went to this Catholic high school because I got in a lot of fights with trust fund babies and since I didn't like the trust fund babies, you know. I said, "Fuck this! I'm not playing. I'm not playing quarterback," which devastated my dad because he wanted me to play college football. Um, yeah. so I had a, I had an arm from the get go, um, but yeah, I, I sort of went into a similar thing. It's like I really didn't like the environment around me. I, I didn't resonate with these sort of rich, rich Catholic kids, you know. And I just, I just sort of, sort of taking matters in my own hands. I started spending a lot of time by myself and and i started doing individual sports like track and field I, you know it's it's cool though that you had coaches that were able to amplify for that for you cuz to be honest i don't think my coaches really knew even knew how to talk to me so
1: mm-hmm.
0: that, like my my english teacher was a coach for me for cross country the one time i did it but i had had like a knee injury in cross country but i never really had a coach that was able to truly press on me like the ones that you're saying and it's almost like manifesting that importance physicalization that I didn't I didn't really fully understand until college when I started doing Muay Thai um you know it's it sounds like what was it about like was there a certain way those coaches communicated that really impressed that upon you
1: um I could say the there's one in middle school so it was a while back that um i know i didn't internalize like all what he wanted to say or wanted to teach us because we we're in middle school and, you know only so much will get in, in into our heads at that age but yeah. like, he was all about hard work all the time and he would uh, he would work us like we were like a college track team and he'd be super intense almost to the point of being being probably pretty unhealthy on a like just mental performance if you didn't match up to what we physically wanted to do what we' expected of but you know I, I uh, really great guy nonetheless and I, I really see no problems with that now because I like I like what thats developed into like all the people who who the sorry all the people who like athletes them um really it brought up the best in them as far as their physical performance I'd say but in high school, I, I attribute most of this was, um, I won't say his name, but he was like, he's like 75, so like, mm. he had like the old sage kind of coach vibe.
0: Oh, the wise yeah. old man. yeah,
1: Right, right. And everything was like, back in my day, people used to do this. <laughs> um, and I don't know, it, it helped a lot though, because he, he knew a lot of like the psychology behind at least runners. And how to make them mad, and how to um, get on each one of us, um, because he he gives so much of his time to like understanding each individual on the team. Mm. That he just he knew what made them furious, so he'd make a little comment and be just to just to get you mad enough in like a playful manner to be like you gotta you gotta do better today, or you gotta give you all today. Um, but he also knew when to give us the rest that we needed, so it, it made it a lot more fun, kind of a challenge
0: that way. Yeah, he sounds like an intuitive coach, but also like really knew how to I I find that people are, are sort of saying being intuitive, like at least nowadays, that being intuitive and sort of being aggressive and a disciplinarian or just just hyper disciplined and aggressive are mutually exclusive. And I, I don't think I I don't think that could be further the truth and it sounds like this guy was an embodiment of that. Um that sounds awesome, first of all. I would, I would have loved to have had a coach like that in high school, you know, who, who cared that much. They, uh, I had one coach that would just regularly, you know, he'd just, all right, guys, you have 15 400s, you need to get it in under 65 or you have to do another one, one minute rest, and then he just sort of dip. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. <laughs> um, and then occasionally he would sort of like pretend to care. You'd say, Arthur, stop fucking around. We're like, okay. That that was pretty. That was pretty much. That was pretty much it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that that, that sounds like it sounds like quite a quite a blessing, honestly. What's interesting too is is another dynamic that is Sort of, I mean, it's it's been expressed by you in, and, and this is it's been expressed by you because you've experienced it with varying degrees. One with this coach you mentioned, with your brother. Um, in terms of just that, really, that negative environment, like pressing against that negative environment, really shaping somebody. Like nowadays, people think like there's no merit in negative environments. It's just it just depends on your relationship with the negative environment. If you're just consuming it, if you're just wallowing in it, yeah, it's going to be terrible. But if you press against it, there's so much growth to be had. Like there's um there's a uh, I mean from the Bay Area, I mean whether whether it's ill-advised or not, I still sort of keep tabs on sports ball. But um, I grew up a, a San Francisco 49ers fan, you know, the Steve Young era. And there's a, there's a documentary about Steve Young. And he's like a really, really happy-go-lucky, You think you think he's Mormon. Yeah, really happy-go-lucky Mormon guy. And either Bill Walsh or George Seifert, one of the two coaches he had, he said, Steve, I'm sorry, but I just feel I got the best out of you when I tortured you. And I was like, oh, geez, like that that majorly resonated. So I mean, it it sounds like between the two individuals in your life, your brother and this coach of yours, that the coach really knew how to measure. Like, he knew how to stoke the fires just enough to get people to be motivated. Whereas your brother, it just sounds like, I'm going to bully you until you you get big and strong, basically. What's 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 your sort of what's the psychology in you within you right now when it comes to these negative environments these negative circumstances?
1: Yeah, I would say I definitely like. Um, I feel like I'm more prone to being in negative environments than positive environments, and that just might be because like you you see a lot of um, kind of stuff that's like oh just be you all the time and that'll help. And at least at least when I. Before I was on, the, like, an improvement sort of directed path, I would, I would like, read these messages. Or, like, you know, you'd see them all the time, and I'd be like, well, what if I don't really like who I am? And I know, like, this, this thought has been in, like, many people's heads. It's not, like, a, a new idea, but um, it, that implies that, no, there isn't, like, something that, like, you're not perfect. And I think the, the quickest and most blunt way to tell someone that is is not through positivity. I feel like it, it it is it is through like bullying in some sense, or at least pointing out and being like, "Hey, you should do this," um, and that's not really either, either negative or positive in that sense. I think that's more like the middle, the middle ground in a way to go between positive positivity and negativity. But that's still sort of telling someone what to do, and as much as I hate being told what to do, I acknowledge that like, if I listen to somebody and actually trust them, that that is what I need to do, even if I don't want to do it. Um,
0: Obviously usually, discerning, discerning who it's coming from, the sort of vetting. Yes. Heard,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, Really, it really depends who it's coming from. But I would say that, um, especially if I just relate it to the college environment, I wouldn't, I would call it a very negative environment um, for like free thinking at least or wanting to better yourself in a way, even though it's sort of like the prereq, prere- let me try that again, sort of like the uh, prerequisite for like a ton of jobs, especially after college and whatnot. I mean, after high school. But, um, I'd say that I feel like I grow like such a person here just because I'm doing challenges all the time and doing what I don't want to do. Um, especially if you can cater that to, like, a difficult activity that you do want to do. Uh, I figure that growth would be huge. Um, yeah. And we have this huge train coming by right now.
0: I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, I can hear that, but I mean, I've had, I've had plenty of white noise, too. For okay. The, for listeners, guys, uh, I don't really have a, I mean, I'm, I'm recording this pretty early in the morning. I didn't want to do this in my room, because uh, I don't want to wake anybody up, so... Um, yeah, if you hear any white noise, like, a uh, Chase's train in the background or various cars and people shouting or whatnot, uh, my apologies, but, uh, we're just rolling with the stuff we have. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you sort of hit the nail on the head with... I mean, so I've been around a lot of really experienced coaches, whether it comes to, like, mental toughness cultivation or martial arts or strongman or powerlifting or mobility or just a lot of things within the sort of physical training realm for about the past, really, seven years now. Um, And I've met guys who are like, oh, my workouts are full of things I hate doing. And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely... I I would I would wholeheartedly agree. It'd be beneficial to do at least cycles of training of things that like things where you're weak, things that you avoid, things that you despise doing. I don't. I mean, me, I'm trying to think. Do I have any exercises that I really don't like? I me personally, I don't. Um, like, I can't think. There's an, there isn't really like any lift that I don't like. There's any there isn't any conditioning protocol that I don't enjoy. Um, I used to hate stretching, but my fiance kind of became like a pretty incredible yogi. So I started getting into stretching and obviously my kicking is much better as a fighter now because I have more extension. Um, Okay, well I guess maybe I'm sort of making my point for me. Maybe I used to hate, I I think I can remember hating other other training exercises. Like I actually really don't like doing bench press compared to other things. I really like doing floor press, but I first just despise bench press for whatever reason. Um, but, um, I think that you hit the nail on the head when it comes to doing, like, trans, like, having, having something in your life, like, if you're, if you're strategizing your life, you're setting your life up for success, like, having, um, a portion of it be, be a bunch of things that you don't want to do, and then transferring that energy to the things you do want to do. I think you're gonna see that pay absolutely incredible dividends. I mean, like right now, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of finally getting out of this, but like I, I lost both my jobs in one of the most expensive areas to live in in the world, and I went a minimum wage, and I, <laughs> I didn't want to take unemployment, and eating really garbage chicken breasts from Walmart, russet potatoes, throwing those in the microwave, like it was, it, was, it wasn't fun. And if in order to get anything done with like some pretty long commuting and long hours just to stay afloat, I had to be really surgical with my time. So I had to like be really good at doing all these things I didn't want to do efficiently. So I even had a little bit of time for the things I do want to do. Now that I have a lot more, it looks like I'm about to have a lot more time for the things I want to do. You know, I know that that, that's going to transfer. So it's just going to sort of amplify, like I can sort of feel it coming with the stuff that I'm planning with, you know, the page and the podcast and everything. Um... Do do you have like do you, do you have like a certain protocol in your life like do you deliberately sort of at, like have a list of things or try to come up with ideas of things that you wouldn't want to do in order to cultivate such a like that kind of muscle for lack of a better term.
1: Um, I would say, um, at least a lot of stuff I don't want to do is just schoolwork, so you know that helps out <laughs> as far as <laughs> that I'm here. So I try to get that done as quick as possible. I'm really, uh, like, if I have a paper, I'll do that. Um, if it's due in two weeks, I'll do it, like, the first day I get it. Try to get it as far done as possible. So it's just out of my way. Um, but I also say, as far as cultivating other stuff that I don't want to do, um, I'll do that with like, with, like, some friends that I have. Like, if I know I have to have a conversation with them. But that that, that also stems from sort of, like, a responsibility I already have. Um But in the gym, um, I would say deadlift is one exercise that I absolutely hate. Um, I've definitely been getting more accustomed to it, though. Um, You know, the more you do it, the better you get. And then it's not so bad. Um, So I think that'll help. But um, as far as life goes, though, I know it would be good to go and stuff that I don't want to do, but I only really do that in the, um, like, physical realm, like, if I want to, if I don't want to run on one day, maybe I'll throw in, like, a hard running workout, or if I don't want to do, like, a specific exercise, then I'll do that, Um, yeah, but I don't consciously do that with other things.
0: Interesting, yeah, this this, this is something I was, like, sort of recently, like, I sizing. like is there I remember i i when i got into bartending initially and i started as a bar back i really liked it because i i at least with the demand of the place i started at um i noticed i was keeping my like i was still training my quick decision making like i was still cultivating that with like while my body was healing compared to like strains of training um but i'm that's an interesting sort of thing to sort of think about like is there Outside of the physical world, can you, like, are there, is there methodology? or I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is, but what methodologies are there to sort of cultivating that muscle without anything physicalizing? I feel like that's almost like a, a next level jump because phys- I feel like physicalizing doing the things that you don't want to do makes it so easy because it's so right in front of you. But if you're able to like train the mind just within the mind of, of, of doing things, of, of solving things that you didn't really want to solve that could be pretty
1: powerful. Yeah. And I think you could even, it might be going too far down this road, but (laughs) um, I would say, is it Sudoku or Sudoku? I don't know how you say it. Yeah, Sudoku, yeah. Yeah, Sudoku, okay. So, like, I hate those puzzles so much. (laughs) And I've never completed one successfully because I always go to the hard... Uh, the hard ones because I feel like those are the only ones worth doing Yeah. so it's like I have no interest in them but if I try it out all of a sudden if I started getting some numbers in then I'm really into it and then all of a sudden I can't do anything else until I finish it but I never finish it but it it, it usually eats up like an hour and a half of my time um,
0: <laughs>
1: but it, I think just trying to um, I mean the more you develop a knowledge on something the more the more your interest will peak in it even if it's something you don't like I think. Um, and sometimes that's by force or whatever where you have to take like a computer science class um, and like you, maybe you're not into that but then all, all of a sudden you might start thinking about some things and you're like okay well I'm sort of interested in this um, even though it's something you don't want to do. Um, I don't know if that's related to what, what we were talking about earlier though
0: no that makes that makes perfect sense actually like my so my, my father talks about this a lot my father has been in the computer industry since computers have really been an industry honestly um, and he, he's, he, he's he's vocalized that he feels like and he, he knows that he has a pretty clear advantage over some thinkers because programming has organized his brain as such um, so he's able to visualize certain things from a purely like almost like Cause and effect ones and zeros pathway of of organization within the mind. That's it's an interesting topic. Um, unfortunately, we run out of time. But Chase, um, I would love to report a part two like sometime this week because it's so far. I mean, I feel like we're just starting to get into it now, honestly. Mm-hmm.
1: No, yeah, I'd be down to. Yeah, I don't really have much going on this week, so whenever. Whenever you feel like it just, I'd be perfectly available to do that.
0: Awesome. And, yeah, you know, I, I want I to dive, honestly, I want to dive more into the way your brain works. But I would also like to, you know, give the listeners some time to read that piece, uh, the piece we wrote on Fosca and Lent. And uh, then we can maybe, you know, carry this conversation on further, but also discuss the piece itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, because there's a lot in there.
0: Yeah, I you know. It the, yeah. yeah, it took about two weeks to, to craft. I mean, actually, it would have uh-huh. taken a week if I didn't have such an erratic schedule. So, again, my apologies for that.
1: No, um, that's all right. Yeah, it's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, likewise, likewise. Um, again, I'm, I'm a big fan of your writing, and everyone else on the solar sphere and Instagram in general should be. Um, so we're going to leave this until part two, folks. I hope everyone has a great Sunday. Chase, thank you so much. I'll speak with you very soon. Um, Until next time, good day and good storms. Thank you.